Joaquin is the goddess of trade and wealth. Her faith looks to inject money into many different ventures and businesses throughout Faerun to further the growth of society. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles Joaquin goes by the following titles Liberty's Maiden, Merchant's Friend, Coin Maiden, and Our Lady of Gold. Joaquin has no known alias. Portfolios and Domains Joaquin holds the portfolios of trade, money, and wealth. Her suggested domains for 5th edition are Knowledge and Trickery. Appearance and Manifestations Joaquin is described as a blonde human woman adorned in fine garments by her feet are two golden lions. Her preferred weapon is a cloud of coins. This cloud mechanically does the damage of Nunchaku in the 3rd edition game. Innate to this cloud are the evil outsider Bane and impact qualities with a plus 5 bonus to attack and damage. Joaquin's avatar has a similar description to Joaquin herself. The avatar is a young human woman with long hair and eyes that are both gold in color. Her hair is lustrous and the gown she wears is of the richest material. The gown sports strips of precious metal studded with precious gems. Around her is a cloak made of linked coin. Other parts of her outfit is a sash of cloth of gold and golden boots laced with linked pearls. Joaquin has three no manifestations. First, appearing out of nowhere as a stream of gold coins that spiral and wind their way around a creature or object Joaquin wants to bring attention to. After the manifestation is complete, the coins fall to the ground where they can be collected. Joaquinar are quick to grab such coins before anyone else. These coins are seen by them to be, quote, the divine essence of the goddess. Second is the pair of golden eyes that appear out of the darkness. These eyes seem insubstantial. This manifestation is strictly limited to dreams. Finally, Joaquin may speak to her devotees as they go about their business telepathically. Her voice is said to be one, quote, that shines like gold. Joaquin makes use of the following creatures to communicate her approval, disapproval, or aid her mortal followers. Ferumak and Plumak Romani, Palomino Horses, Golden Cats, Golden Lions, Lock Lurkers, and Eagles that are typically gold in plumage. Given the strong association between Romani and the Outlands, it may be that Joaquin is no longer served by these creatures. I will discuss this further in the Personal Realms section later. Joaquin can also manifest items on the prime material to reward her mortal followers. Coin where it is least likely to be found, like in road tracks, daffodils, citrines, pyrite, and gold nuggets. Abilities The first edition Forgotten Realms box set gives Joaquin the rank of a lesser goddess. The second edition Forgotten Realms box set 
mentions that Joaquin held the rank of an intermediate power before her disappearance during the Time of Troubles. This increase in rank between these two editions seems to be a retcon, in my opinion. Considering the first edition box set is set in 1357 Dale Reckoning, a year before the Time of Troubles, which brought the setting forward into second edition. As she was absent, still following the Time of Troubles, Joaquin lost a substantial amount of followers. After her return, 3rd edition sources assign her the rank of a lesser power. In 4th edition, her divine rank is just God. The rank of God in 4th edition's divine hierarchy is the middling rank in between Exarch and Greater God. The divine hierarchy has been changed once again in 5th edition. Though in 5th edition we have only few ranks assigned to any gods, I feel safe in the assumption that Joaquin holds the rank of a lesser goddess in this present edition's hierarchy. Joaquin has a stat block in 3rd edition's Faiths and Avatars. That stat block is both long and complex, so I have only picked out a few elements to highlight. Since she is a lesser goddess, Joaquin may choose to take a 10 on any check she makes. Any roll of a 1 on an attack or saving throw is treated normally, rather than as an automatic failure. Joaquin can extend her senses out from her to a maximum distance of 7 miles, which is approximately 11 kilometers. She can sense out from any of her worshippers holy objects, places of worship, or a location where her name or titles were spoken in the last hour to the same distance. Joaquin can split the focus of her senses between five locations at once. She can block the senses of any deity who holds the same divine rank or less from sensing two remote locations for up to seven hours. Joaquin has a portfolio sense that immediately grants her the knowledge of any commercial agreement, contract, or the like that affects 500 people or more. Along with that, she immediately learns of the destruction or theft of commercial property that affects 500 people or more. Joaquin can create any magic item that provides rest, defense, or aids in the procurement of information so long as that item costs 30,000 gold pieces or less. Joaquin has an avatar stat block in 2nd edition's Face and Avatars. Just know that the following information includes terms from 2nd edition that were not brought forward in the 5th edition. Joaquin's avatar can cast spells from any school and any sphere of magic. The avatar may levitate and walk on air at will. They can cast out a stream of gold coin once per round. Joaquin may do this to either attack a target dealing bludgeoning damage or to shower people with wealth. The gold coin she casts out is permanent. Joaquin's avatar can spit out molten gold. The cooled and hardened gold can be collected afterwards. She can also manifest a flame strike-like ability, which manifests as flame mixed with a rotating helix of gold coins. These gold coins disappear after the avatar uses this ability. Finally, the avatar is immune to electrical shock, charm, and illusions. Personal History Joaquin is said to be a relatively new member of the Faerunian pantheon. As far as I am aware, no exact year is given for Joaquin's emergence as a goddess. The first edition box set says, quote, 
no older in her worship than Tyr. We know that Tyr entered into the Faerunian pantheon in negative 247 Dale Reckoning. In 1358 Dale Reckoning, Joaquin fell down to the service of Toril along with the other gods of the Faerunian pantheon, save Helm, at the start of the Time of Troubles. During her short stay on the surface of Faerun, no mortal encountered her. Much like the other deities, Joaquin adamantly pursued a way back to her divine realm. Should she return to the Outer Plains, Joaquin felt capable in developing a plan to disentangle the mess the Time of Troubles had caused. As chance would have it, the first god she ran into on the Prime Material was Lyra. Lyra and Joaquin were and still are long-standing allies and friends. Traveling together, the two goddesses reached the Celestial Staircase above Shadowdale. Just as an aside, the Celestial Staircase is a term specific to the realms for the planar pathway called the Infinite Staircase, just one of many different planar pathways in the multiverse. Lyra and Joaquin were the first to attempt the Celestial Staircase even before Mistra. Joaquin intended on bribing Helm, as Helm was on the Celestial Staircase, guarding any other gods from trying to reach the Outer Plains. Joaquin's plan was to offer Helm whatever it was he desired. And indeed, only a quarter of the way up the staircase, the two goddesses were halted by Helm. Try as she might, Helm refused every bribe Joaquin put forward. Lyra and Joaquin retreated back down and hid in the Cormanthor forest. There, Joaquin came up with a complex plan. She would call upon her contacts to smuggle her off of Faerun and into the Outer Plains. Rather than go straight to the Outlands and be stopped, no doubt, Joaquin intended to use a long route through the lower Outer Plains to reach the Outlands. Joaquin contacted a god from another crystal sphere called Celestian. Celestian is a god of stars and planar travel from the Greyhawk setting. Joaquin called in a favor. Celestian owed her. There's one sticking point. Joaquin was not able to reach the plains because Ao was blocking any deific entity from getting to the plains. Since Joaquin was an avatar, she was able to take her divinity and give it to Lyra for safekeeping. Joaquin was reduced to a very powerful and knowledgeable human. Celestian refused to bring Lyra along due to his lack of familiarity with the Goddess of Joy. Celestian then brought Joaquin to the Astral Plane. Before Joaquin left Realm Space, she had Lyra make a promise to her. Until Joaquin returned, Lyra was to guard both Joaquin's divine portfolios and power. On the Astral Plane, Joaquin met with the minions of a demon lord of the Abyss, Grast. Accompanying these minions, Joaquin was brought to the Abyss to meet with Grast. Grast was one of many underworld connections Joaquin had made in the past. According to Second Edition's Faiths and Avatars, Joaquin had previously agreed with Grast to exchange a substantial amount of treasure in exchange for the locations of redoubts out among the plains and prime material where she might avoid Ao's notice, or according to the Second Edition module, for duty and deity. Joaquin offered to grasp the locations of hidden treasure out among the plains, 
along with information about the financial dealings of his rival demon lords. Grast instead scrapped the deal once Joaquin was in front of him and she was taken prisoner. With Joaquin prisoner, Grast thought he'd extract all the secrets about obtaining wealth from her. During Joaquin's imprisonment, she was transported continuously through Grast's three layers of the abyss. The demon lord and Joaquin occasionally met for tea, though these meetings doubled as interrogations. Joaquin did manage to break free for a brief time, only for resident demons to turn Joaquin back over to Grast. These demons feared the demon lord's wrath to such an extent that they refused Joaquin's substantial bribes. Meanwhile, down on the Prime Material, Joaquin's followers desperately attempted to determine her whereabouts. Scrying and divinations on the clergy's part either failed to work or gave strange readings given Joaquin's current state. Some even went mad as they glimpsed the denizens and environs of the abyss. With Joaquin's disappearance during the Time of Troubles, she was thought to be dead. Her clergy and clerics no longer received the needed divine power to cast their spells. Some left during this period to pursue other faiths. Lyra saw the confusion and crumbling of Joaquin's faith and felt it was time to intervene. In 1365 DR, a prophet of Lyra appeared before the Wakanar with a proclamation. Now, what proclamation was given differs on what source you refer to. The second edition Forgotten Realms box set says the proclamation was that Joaquin was dead and she had been banished from realm space altogether. The one I defer to, second edition's Faiths and Avatars, which was published later, says the proclamation from Lyra's prophet was there was no indication of Joaquin in her divine realm, nor indication Joaquin was soon to return. Rather, the Wakanar themselves assumed the worst and decided their patron goddess had perished. This prophet was magically transported by Alira to each of Joaquin's temples to deliver this message. In Joaquin's stead, Alira was to preside over Joaquin's portfolios. Many of Joaquin's faith made transition and began worshipping Alira, or instead accepted Alira as the regent over Joaquin's portfolios, still holding out that Joaquin might return. Many of Joaquin's places of worship were converted to Alira's worship. Other Wakanar refused Lyra and moved on to other deities like Lathander, Bashaba, Taimora, or Shandakul. The Wakanar, who did not give themselves fully over to Lyra, were still permitted to wear their old vestments. Lyra was never comfortable holding the portfolios of Joaquin. Given her jovial and free-spirited disposition, Understandably, she was frustrated at holding portfolios that called for a degree of responsibility and control. The temptation was there to claim these portfolios for herself, but as history shows, Lyra was true to her word. Joaquin's absence during this period came to be known as the Interdeum of Joaquin. As played out in the second edition adventure module for Duty and Deity, Joaquin was rescued from the abyss by a group of unnamed adventurers in 1371 Dale Reckoning. The impetus for the adventure comes when a priestess at Goldspires, Joaquin's primary temple on Faerun, received convoluted and confusing dreams. The holy coin who presides at Goldspires 
and is the pontiff for the walk in our faith, divined at this time that these dreams were connected to Joaquin's whereabouts. From there, the Holy Coin recruited the unnamed adventurers who went on to rescue Joaquin. Joaquin returned to the Outlands, reclaimed her divinity from Lyra, and took up her former spot in the Faerunian pantheon. In the end, some people did not believe it was truly Joaquin who had returned. Worse still, others thought Joaquin had returned with the assistance of fiends after making deals with said fiends. To this day, Joaquin aspires to get her revenge against Grast. To my knowledge, she has not achieved this as of yet. Personality Joaquin is a neutrally aligned goddess. In the alternative alignment system used in 4th edition, she is an unaligned goddess. Joaquin is lively and resplendent. She loves wealth, not for greed's sake. Rather, she takes comfort in the freedom, possibilities, and comforts that wealth provides. She advocates for the development and increase in trade. Joaquin is a spirited haggler who adores wheeling and dealing in a marketplace setting. Some of her faithful are adamant that they recognize her leaving their stall or shop shortly after an energetic exchange. In these stories, Joaquin always has the deal fall in her favor, but she does not leave the other party shortchanged. Joaquin likes to think outside the box and is persistent in solving any problem in front of her. However, this persistence often leads to stubbornness and selfishness. As much as she presides over deals done legally and above board, she presides over deals and bargains made under the table as well. These last few traits cause her past predicament with Grast. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed fault model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Joaquin may reside on one of three outer planes. I cannot say it for certain, since no 5th edition source or novel during the present period states as such. In 2nd edition sources, Joaquin resides on the true neutral outer plane of the Outlands. As you will see in later editions, Joaquin came to dwell in dominions or planes where Sunni or a monitor presided. Though both 3rd edition and 4th edition use their own cosmologies different from the Great Wheel. It may be that Joaquin resides on the Outlands, on the chaotic good outer plane of Arborea, or the lawful neutral plane of Mechanus presently. What I will do is describe what is mentioned about Joaquin's realm in the Outlands presented in 2nd edition sources. I will note for later cosmologies how planes and dominions might fit into the Great Wheel. It is worth noting that there is no mention of Joaquin's realm in the recent Sigil and the Outlands supplement in the 5th edition Planescape box set. However, I don't feel that confirms anything for us, unfortunately. The Outlands also is referred to as the Concordant Opposition or the Concordant Opposition of the Outlands. It is the true neutral outer plane that is coterminous with every other outer plane. Unlike most outer planes, the Outlands has no layers. It is just one sprawling plane. Joaquin's divine realm on the Outlands is called the Marketplace Eternal. The Outlands is the center of the outer planes. Here, all the outer planes connect with the Outlands, and the Outlands serve as a neutral meeting ground. 
All sorts of planar beings walk openly in the outlands, not bound to the different rules of the different planes that may restrict them as an outsider. Much of the wild terrain outside of several deific realms that dot the outlands is varied and reminiscent of the terrain types found on primaterial worlds. In the middle of the outlands is a massive spire visible to all in the outlands, and above this spire rests Sigil, the city of doors. As one moves closer to the spire, powerful magical abilities begin to be neutralized. At the base of the spire, even deific powers cease. This great spire is regarded by some to be the axle around which all the outer planes spin. At the periphery of the outlands are 16 gate towns or portal towns, which all house a portal to the respective outer plane. The deific realms of true neutral deities and or deities of scholarship or nature are typically found in the outlands. Petitioners in the outlands look much like they did in their mortal lives with next to no change in their outward appearance or disposition. I believe it is fair to say that this is true for Joaquin's petitioners, given Joaquin is a true neutral goddess and her realm is frankly familiar to the real world. The Marketplace Eternal is massive in scope. As its name suggests, this marketplace is made up of endless stalls, tent vendors, gambling dens, and charlatans hawking their wares spread out across miles in every direction. It may seem a chaotic entanglement to any newcomer. One stall may be in one location one day, only to be in another place the next. Generally, categories of items are sold within a region of the marketplace. Weapons are sold in one general area of the marketplace, while textiles are sold in another general area. Just as a couple of examples. The Marketplace Eternal is not only Joaquin's realm, but a realm shared by four deities with similar portfolios over wealth and trade. Included alongside Joaquin are Shinare or Shanair of Quirin, aka the World of Dragonlance, Zilkis of Oerth, or the Greyhawk setting, and Sarah of Abrinus or Abernus, the birthright setting. From there, each deity has a corner of the marketplace eternal to call their own. Joaquin's quarter is called the House of Barter. Here Joaquin resides in her huge golden palace. Within it can be found a permanent portal that connects to Lyra's realm of bright water on the plain of Arborea. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Joaquin resides on the plane of Brightwater. This plane is presided over by Sunni. Brightwater isn't an urban center as it is described in the Great Wheel. Rather, it is an idyllic and comfortable realm of cottages and manors. The plane still carries the same aura of excitement, good fun, and beauty. Creatures who inhabit Brightwater include those angels in service to the five resident goddesses. Then there are also the Bakai. Bakai are celestial creatures who are known for their revels and hedonistic behaviors. They have some beast-like qualities that place them halfway between humanoid and satyr. The Bakai on Brightwater are less destructive than some of their counterparts, but by no means less jubilant. The petitioners of Brightwater exist on the cusp of normal humanity and unbridled bestial wants. These hedonists exist in a state of eternal revelry. 
At the center of Brightwater is Joaquin's realm, which is also called the Marketplace Eternal in this cosmological model. Unlike the other divine realms are active with revelry, the Marketplace Eternal is a commercial center. Throughout all hours of the day, a wide array of items are sold. It is an active realm that might not be dedicated to pleasure, but it contains passionate visitors and petitioners devoted to trade. If you wish to have Joaquin reside in bright water in the Great Wheel, it isn't terribly hard to make that so. Bright water is a realm found on the chaotic good outer plane of Arborea in the Great Wheel. I recommend listening to either my episode on Lyra or Sunni, where I discuss bright water in the Great Wheel. Within the World Axis cosmological model used in 4th edition, Joaquin resides on the dominion of the Eternal Sun. Here, a monitor presides as the superior power. The Eternal Sun is a realm of thriving petitioners carrying out their afterlives both on land and out at sea. Joaquin has her realm here, again called the Marketplace Eternal. It surrounds a monitor's palace of the four suns. If you wish to have Joaquin reside around a monitor's realm in the Great Wheel, that isn't a hard change to make either. Monitor's realm and the outer planes very likely is on the lawful neutral outer plane of Mechanus. I described Mechanus in a Monitor's episode, however, there is no information, to my knowledge, about a Monitor's realm out on Mechanus. This is because he was considered dead during 2nd edition when the Divine Realms for several Forgotten Realms powers received descriptions in the Great Wheel. I recommend using what little we have from 4th edition and making the necessary changes to fit a Monitor's and Joaquin's realms onto Mechanus in the Great Wheel. Allies and Allegiances Joaquin has no superior deity she follows or answers to. Within the Faerunian pantheon, she is allied with Lyra, goddess of joy and dance, Gond, god of invention and craft, and Shandakul, god of travel and in exploration. We've mentioned Lyra's and Joaquin's relationship already. Joaquin is willing to adopt and advocate the use of new inventions which puts her in the good graces of Gond. The portfolios of Shandakul and Joaquin work well in tandem. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Joaquin is allied with two members of the Dwarven pantheon. Martha Morduin, god of explorers and travelers, and Vergadain, god of wealth and luck. She is also an ally of Soroli, a lawful good halfling goddess of hospitality and friendship. Enemies Joaquin has one foe in the Faeronian pantheon, Mask, the god of thieves. Given his actions, safe to say we can include a demon lord Grast among Joaquin's enemies. Symbols In the Faeronian pantheon, Joaquin's faith has one known symbol, with two variations. Either the side profile of a woman facing to the left stamped on a coin or disc, or the face of a woman stamped upon a golden disc or coin. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons, a 3rd edition supplement. Quote, Mercantile trade is the best road to enrichment. Increasing the general prosperity buys ever greater civilization and happiness for intelligent folk worldwide bringing people closer to the golden age that lies ahead. Destroy no trade goods, raise no restrictions to trade, 
and propagate no malicious rumors that could harm someone's commerce. Challenge and refute unproven rumors that could negatively impact trade unheard. Give money freely to beggars and businesses. For the more coin everyone has, the greater the urge to spend and trade rather than hoard. To worship Joaquin is to know wealth. To guard your funds is to venerate her, and to share them well seeds your future success. Call on her in trade, and she will guide you in wise commerce. The bold find gold, the careful keep it, and the timid yield it up. End quote. Presence of the Faith Joaquin's clerics have a widespread in alignment. Chaotic neutral, neutral, lawful neutral, neutral evil, and neutral good. Joaquin is worshipped often by merchants, shopkeeps, costers, caravan guides, money changers, smugglers, thieves who combat other thieves to stop them from theft, and the wealthy. It may be thought that people who worship Joaquin in the hopes of striking it rich and being successful in business. Rather, the majority of her followers worship Joaquin in the hopes that they ward off any bad luck in, the biz- in their businesses and mercantile affairs. A hidden aspect of the Wakinar faith is their clandestine and illegal methods that shape the market in their given region. Wakinar, of course, never admit to such methods openly. In the past, accusations and charges against the faith caused this shift in their methods. The typical activities of this nature Wakinar engage in are rumor mongering, cornering a given market, and hiring brigands to shake up things at borders between nations and kingdoms. In Var the Golden, Estegund, and Durpar, Joaquin is thought to be part of the Adama, the world spirit that exists in all living things. Her faith, along with a few others, have many places of worship and large clergies. There are members of Joaquin's faith tied to the Iron Throne. The faith itself, however, is not. The Iron Throne is a mercantile organization who uses underhanded tactics to gain control over trade. They are heavily involved in the trade and movement of weapons. Faithful merchants make a point of setting some of their profits aside in dedication of Joaquin. In Waterdeep, at least in the 3rd edition era, a handful of faiths sell their own broadsheets out at major intersections. The Wakanar sell their own broadsheet called the Merchant's True Friend. This broadsheet concerns itself with local investments. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Collectively, Wakanar clergy are called gold eyes or true traders. Common folk may call them gold palms. The Wakanar use the following ranks for the clergy in ascending order. Telkar are the novices. Coin is the first rank of the confirmed clergy. Abriant, counter. Trebar, investor. Halanthi, lender. Sindo, many coins. Grand Trebar, spender. Grand Sindar. Overgold, the first rank of the high clergy. And then the singular head of the faith, Holy Coin. The Wakanar faith is quite wealthy. The faith does not hoard its money. Rather, it invests correctly and makes important commercial connections and contacts that provide the faith with insight into business ventures and agreements across the continent. Coin is not used solely for business. Coin is also used to often increase the faith's reputation and popularity. 
During Joaquin's absence, there were some Joaquinar who held out against changing their patron to Lyra, like many of their fellows. The Lyran clergy allowed them to keep their Joaquinar titles and vestments. Lyrans refer to these holdouts as coin spinners. The following information is taken from 2nd edition when class options present then are no longer represented in the modern iteration of the game. The Wakanar clergy was split into clerics and specialty priests. These specialty priests were called gold eyes. 40% of the clergy were clerics and 60% were gold eyes. The term gold eye went on to represent a prestige class in 3rd edition, only to later become the sole term for Wakanar clergy in 4th edition. I know it's confusing. This is just the way the lore shakes out. Gold eyes in a second edition capacity were called as such because they were blessed with the same gold-colored eyes that their patron goddess has. The faith has a loose hierarchy, but there is one leader of the faith that all Wakinar follow, the Holy Coin. Interestingly, after Joaquin returned and their faith was on its way to normalcy, the succession of the next Holy Coin was on the horizon. It was known that the Holy Coin at the time was considering retirement after he set Joaquin's faith back on the right path. Five senior priestesses were considered heavy favorites to become the Holy Coin. Collectively, these five were known as the Five Furies. Each of them were rivals and were cleverly building up their reputations while undermining the others. All resided in Goldspires, the center of the Wakanar faith found in Athkatla. Each of them were assistants, in their own right, to the then Holy Coin. To my knowledge, the current Holy Coin has not been named anywhere. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful In the event of a profitable venture, worshippers of Joaquin help grow the faith by using a small tithe or percentage of that venture. This coin is not to be donated to a temple or shrine. Rather, the coin is to be invested in a business on hard times to start a prospective opportunity or used just for leisure. Handing coin to beggars and panhandlers is practiced to encourage further movement of coin. Wakanar clerics are itinerant, traveling across Faerun, assisting merchants. The clerics also work internally with devoted fences, money lenders, and banks. Wakanar clerics give 25% of their earnings to the faith. They are also expected to invest in the enterprises of fellow Wakanar, if the enterprise seems reasonable, and invest in the enterprises of those who donate substantial amounts to the faith. Competition and the exchange of coin increases opportunities, which in turn increases the growth of civilization. Miserly and greedy guilds and consortiums often conflict with the Wakanar, since they are not as free with their coin and wealth. The Wakanar perspective is that if everyone has enough coin, the temptation to hoard away your own coin is lessened. If this temptation has lessened, this encourages spending and the further development of commercial industries and trade. This will lead to an uplift in society, and the Wakanar used the term golden age to refer to this hypothetical utopia. Wakanar are not to break or ruin items for sale, constrain or restrict trade in any capacity, and not deal in underhanded rumors that undermine trade relations between settlements and regions. A member of the faith is to invest their wealth somehow once every 10 days. They must then also attempt to sell or buy something every day. Armed conflicts and wars should be avoided if possible. An initial influx of trade and passing of wealth comes with war, 
as sides begin to prepare, arm, and defend themselves. But wars bring with them long-term destruction, hindered trade, and loss of people, who could otherwise be spending and trading. Orders and Priestly Bodies There's no order of monks, clerics, or paladins in Joaquin's faith. Rather, they hire out adventuring parties who show promise or have a promising track record. The Wakanar faith asks for 20% of the party's profits. Mercenary and adventurers are also hired out to protect Wakanar caravans and ships. Though a temple to Joaquin in Erebar has its own mercenary company. This order is known as the Order of the Sapphire Crescent. This order is mentioned throughout the Scions of Erebar novel series, where one of the main characters, Van Bren Matrell, is a member. There was one group operating in the time of Joaquin's absence called Prophet Prophets. They likely don't exist anymore since Joaquin returned to her place in the Faronian pantheon. These Prophet Prophets were determined in their belief in Joaquin's return. Lyra provided this group with their spells, but she never revealed that to them. This group felt that since their ability to cast spells had not lessened any, Joaquin was still active in some capacity. They followed and maintained the Wakanar ways, while others in the faith turned towards other faiths. Unlike their fellow Wakanar, they were at odds with Lirans given their strong convictions in Joaquin's status. A prophet prophet can discern proxies or fakes from real metal and gemstones. They can almost perfectly estimate the value of an item or service. Before the term gold eye was used to acknowledge Joaquin's clergy collectively, it was a name for Joaquinar specialty priest in 2nd edition and a prestige class in 3rd edition. As a prestige class, the gold eyes were explained to be their own unique body within the Joaquinar faith. A gold eye's responsibilities were no different from the rest of their faith. They were acknowledged though as adventurers who often went into tombs to free up forgotten coin and put it to use in society. Other gold eyes defended vaults and financial institutions, especially those within or tied to Joaquin's faith. Appearance and Dress Wakanar ceremonial dress is opulent in its presentation. Beneath their vestments, they wear silk underclothes. Their tunics are puffy and fluted. Those who are hard of seeing wear pince-nez glasses or carry around lord nets. Attached to their vestments are silk ribbons. Attached to these ribbons are items they might find useful. Atop their head are golden and gem-set mitres. They wear hose or trousers according to the weather. Over top their tunic may be a tabard. They pick and choose such things according to the season. The materials chosen in the creation of these items are of the finest quality and sport vibrant patterns. A heavy cloak wraps around the clergy member. It is a gold-lined red cloak festooned with clasps, buttons, and decorative pieces made from precious metals. Hands are covered with white gloves. Each clergy member carries either a golden rod or staff. Some of these may be magical, but all are inset with gems and are engraved. Senior members place coronets over top their mitres. 
As you can imagine, they outshine the rest of their fellows. When adventuring, Wakanar prefer to either go about dressed like a wealthy merchant or armored. Their armor is golden with white enamel. Realistic scenes are also painted on the armor. They travel about on magical chariots that hover just off the ground, or ride atop curtain palanquins. Rituals Wakanar pray and meditate on their spells just before sunset. This rite starts by tossing a coin into a bowl of water or a body of water. When a devout follower of Joaquin goes to the table to strike a mercantile deal with another, they start the proceedings both with a prayer and quick ceremony done in Joaquin's name. The Wakanar have 12 holy days throughout the year. These are known as the High Festivals. Each is dedicated to aspects of the faith. The holy days are as follows in order of the calendar of Harptos. Cold counting comfort happens on the 15th of Hammer. It celebrates the counting of coin that occurs throughout the winter. Great Weave happens on the 20th of Alturiac. It celebrates textile workers and weavers who busy themselves in the winter months. High Coin happens on the 30th of Chess. It is bombastic as the wealthy celebrate one another's accomplishments with accompanying trumpet blares. Significant wealth is donated in preparation for Spheres. Spheres happens on the 10th of Tarsac. All the wealth from High Coin is placed in glass spheres. Those glass spheres are then catapulted into the city, where they shatter. City dwellers are free to scoop up the coins and gemstones that scatter across the street. The sphere glass is prepared to not shatter into sharp shards. Samardok happens on the 12th of Myrtle. It celebrates past worshippers and substantially wealthy benefactors, who helped to prop up Joaquin's faith in its early days. Bright Buckle happens on the 21st of Kythorn. A huge parade is held to celebrate the coming warm weather. The Wakanar deck themselves out accordingly. A feast is held where all may attend. Here the Wakanar clergy tell the great works across Faerun supported by Joaquin's faith. All this is done with the hopes of bringing in more adherents. Sornin occurs over the 3rd and 5th of Flame Rule. This is a formal affair until business is done. Treaties, alliances, and deals are put to paper with diplomats and envoys from across Faerun. Even rivals and enemies are invited in the hopes that agreements of understanding come to fruition. Plenty of wine is passed about. I think plying people with wine is done in an attempt to lower their guard and inhibitions. Haldark happens on the 17th of Elysis. It is celebrated with a bountiful feast. This day is dedicated in the name of agriculture and the goods it produces. Many trees and plants are planted on Haldark. Sprindlestar happens on the 7th of Elant. Wizards and other arcanists are celebrated this day. Specifically how the spells they cast and invent prop up civilization and society. Spellcasters are hired by the Wakanar to entertain people with spell displays. Marthun happens on the 1st of Marpanoth. This festival recognizes the dedication and vigilance of guards and soldiers who watch over financial institutions and society as a whole. 
a feast is provided for those in these occupations and provided with a small gift of wealth. Each Wakanar temple picks one such individual to retire. This individual is gifted their weight in coin and a piece of land. Tahen Tiahan happens on the 10th of Uktar. It is also called the Night of Hammers and Nails. A day-long feast is held where the works and the inventions of craft workers are celebrated and acknowledged. New inventions are demonstrated before the clergy, and the clergy may even purchase the rights to those inventions. The Wakanar, quote, offer a room full of gold per invention purchased. The room has to be one in the inventor's house, and the church fills it to the rafters with gold coin. Workshops and stalls are closed this day so craft workers can partake in the festivities. Finally, Orbar happens on the 25th of Nightall. This is a solemn festival and one filled with stories of remembrance and reflection. The core intent at the heart of Orbar is the acknowledgement of the evil wealth can bring about. Stories are told about greedy misers, those who perished at the hands of bandits or thieves, and those who died mining or adventuring for wealth. A feast is held in dedication of renowned merchants, and the Wakanar reaffirm their duty to hunt down those who steal from the faithful. In Waterdeep, four separate and local festivals celebrated by Joaquin's faithful were folded into Joaquin Tide. These four festivals are now spread out over the 1st to 10th of Tarsac. Caravance is held on the 1st of Tarsac. This festival celebrates the coming of caravans into Waterdeep along with the change from winter to spring. This festival involves gift-giving. Parents hide gifts to their children, telling them that an old merchant named Old Carvis has snuck in and hid them for children to find. Golden Night is held on the 5th of Tarsac. This festival celebrates gold and coin. Sales and services are provided at businesses and shops that keep their doors open until the morning. Some go about painted or dusted with gold or wearing coin jewelry. Guild's Meet is held on the 7th of Tarsac. Members meet in the respective guild halls revealing policies for the the coming year and celebrating work done in the past year. Some of the guilds help to put on a large gala that spills out across the city. Leyrun is celebrated on the 10th of Tarsac. This day commemorates the tale of how Joaquin punished Lera, goddess of illusions. Lera tried to cheat Joaquin in a deal. Discovering this ruse, Joaquin placed a mountain of molten gold atop Lera. On this day, guildmasters pay their annual dues. Guildmasters renew their agreements and policies with the lords of Waterdeep. Sornin, the seventh high festival in Joaquin's faith, is celebrated on the same three days in Flame Rule in Waterdeep. It is celebrated for the same reasons, but for some unstated reason the Church of Lothander is involved as well. The cleaving is an initiation and reaffirmation ritual. Lay folk looking to begin worshipping Joaquin and those who ascend in rank throughout the clergy all participate in the cleaving. The supplicant enters the place of worship covered in dirt and moving on their knees. They also carry or tow their weight in gold. Sledges and body harnesses are allowed to accommodate the weight being pulled during the ritual. 
When the supplicant reaches the altar, they place all the gold on top of the altar. They turn their attention to the golden bowl on the altar. They first kiss the golden bowl, then all present begin to sing a song dedicated to Joaquin. A portion of the floor is removed. Beneath the floor is a tub or bath filled with spiced wine. A supplicant steps into the bath. The enchanted gold offering bowl hovers over and pours into this bath holy water with flecks of gold within. The Wakanar call this mixture liquid gold. The supplicant cleans themselves with this mixture, the remainder of those present still singing. The intendant clergy will then provide the individual with towels to dry off with. They also bequeath this individual with either fancy clothes for a layperson or the necessary ceremonial garb this clergy member now wears. There is a celebratory feast afterwards. The bequeathal of the Mark of the Lady is the ritual most outsiders are familiar with. Either a lay worshipper or full clergy member has done something great to uphold Joaquin's tenets. Often, this is the enrichment of those around them both inside and outside the temple. A sash is presented to the individual. A rather large coin in the shape of a chevron is attached to the sash. Those present receive a celebratory gold coin themselves. It is possible to receive more than one of these large coins. Each of the coins is worth 450 gold pieces. They hold an enchantment that allows them to be traced as some thieves have unfortunately discovered after the theft. Wakanar hold several holy festivals specific to their own temple. Usually they wait for such festivals to perform both cleaving and bestow the mark of the lady. Festivals are usually scheduled in the following way. The day starts out with hymns and song in Joaquin's name around some place they can toss in their coins. Often these places are ponds and wells. This is followed by a parade with clergy in their fine vestments and others richly dressed themselves as all move towards the temple. Mischief makers sometimes like to toss things at those in the parade. Upon entering the temple, a sermon is given. Following that, one or both the cleaving or bestowal of the Mark of the Lady are performed. If neither of these two are performed, a prayer is said by the highest-ranking clergy member. The festival is wrapped up with a fun-filled feast that lasts until the early hours of the morning. Since the Wakanar are wealthy, there is plenty of alcohol consumed, and performers of all varieties are hired to entertain. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Temples to Joaquin look like meeting halls or guild halls. The term House of All Plenty is reserved for the major Wakanar temples throughout the continent. Those who donate substantially to Wakanar temples are allowed to stay in the temple's accommodations while under the watchful protection of the local clergy. Altars dedicated to Joaquin are either a stone block or a wooden table. Atop their surface is a consecrated golden bowl. These bowls are enchanted. The bowl will rise up and hover above the altar proportional to the amount of wealth placed in the bowl. Much like her clergy, Joaquin's temples are opulent, sparing no expense. The architecture does vary from region to region. Some are cathedrals, others may be designed like 
real-world Greco-Roman temples in the classical style. Paintings, carvings, and sculpture decorate temple interiors. All are done in bright colors and feature precious metals and gems where appropriate. Or perhaps even inappropriately if you're wanting things to be gaudy rather than beautiful. While Wakanar put their wealth on display for all to see, they are also sure to secure what has yet to be spent. Vaults and other storage spaces are secured with the best methods available. No doubt their vaults use equal amounts of magic and mechanics to achieve such security. Wakanar temples may be rented for an event by devotees. Likely the cost is quite steep. Specific Places of Worship During Joaquin's absence from the Time of Troubles to her return in 1371 Dale Reckoning, several of her places of worship were turned over to the worship of Lyra, or they were left abandoned. The issue, if you can call it an issue, is that we don't know what happened to several of these places once Joaquin returned. This has to do with less material published over the course of 3rd edition, 4th edition, and 5th edition that spells out exactly what temples existed in which settlements. In the case of named abandoned places, I like to think Joaquin's faith had more than enough coin to refurbish and make them active once more, while Lyran places were left as they were. Joaquinar probably saw it as an opportunity to spread their wealth around by contracting and hiring all sorts of tradespeoples and artisans to construct new places of worship. That's the narrative I personally would follow. Out in the Evermores is the ruins of Nesme. In the past, Nesme was run by the local Wakanar clergy until her disappearance. At the center of this fortified town was their temple called the House of Fair Trade. That temple was repurposed as a boarding house for merchants. And the face ward of Calimport is the Coin Chapel. The smaller temple to Joaquin is the older of the three temples in Calimport. It contains strict adherence to Joaquin's faith. During Joaquin's absence, they acknowledged Lyra as regent, but refused to give up their old ways. Staying in the face ward, we find the Orensalda Temple Complex. Two temples are attached to one another. The largest is a temple to Joaquin, the other is a temple to Lyra. The smaller temple to Lyra was built following the Time of Troubles to acknowledge both goddesses. Finally, in the Conduk Ward is the Conduk of the Coin Mother. This is an open-air market. The only way to know that it is dedicated to Joaquin is by the 10-foot diameter golden disc with the goddess's face upon it. As of the mention of this disc in 2nd edition, thieves have been trying to find a way to make off with it for over 300 years. The Gold Hall of the Sacraments was a form of temple to Joaquin in Erlasper. The presiding priest converted to Sirik's faith. To prove his loyalty to his new god, this priest fireballed the Gold Hall. The charred husk of the temple was still standing as of its description in 2nd edition. It would appear that either a new temple was built on the same grounds or elsewhere. The 3rd edition campaign setting book mentions that the temple of Joaquin is located in Urmlasper. The house of built gold is in the moon sea city of Mallmaster. When Joaquin was absent, her faith abandoned this temple and built a new temple to Lyra following their conversion. I don't know what happened to this place after Joaquin's return.
In Eriobor is the Tower of Gold. This tower once was the home of an archmage before it was consecrated in Joaquin's name. With Joaquin's disappearance, her clergy abandoned the tower. A high priest here allegedly was consumed in blue fire and vanished after his mental health began to fail him after learning of Joaquin's absence. Lirens petitioned Iriobor to allow them to rededicate it to Lyra. Nothing more past this information from 2nd edition is said on the matter. The Wall of Coins can be found in the metropolis of Sodolfor. I'm not sure how to describe the Wall of Coins. The description presented in 2nd edition's Empire of the Shining Sea make it sound like a shrine within a thick defensive wall. A hollow shaft in the wall has gold sheets along all sides of its interior. Cloth of gold curtains hang around the shrine as well. The fixture of the Wall of Coins is the Hovering Altar. This altar is made of gold and is as big as a coffin. Since this description was given in 2nd edition, Joaquin's clergy had long since abandoned this site. The wall was still defended by the town guard. The altar still held deadly wards to attack potential thieves. Formerly, Joaquin's voice spoke out from this altar. In particular, it was thought that Joaquin would decree the leader, known as the Olanger of Sodolfer, from this altar. During her absence, of course, no voice ever manifested to name a successor to the aging leader. The center of Wakanar worship is Goldspires. Goldspires is located just outside the Omnian metropolis of Athkatla. Goldspires overlooks the city on a crag along the coastline. Goldspires is no temple. Rather, it is a large temple complex in the form of a fortified castle abbey. Given the name, the spires here are gilded and conical. Inside the walls of gold spires are 15 different buildings. Gold spires is like a settlement on its own with many permanent residents living here, even outside the clergy. Some of the buildings outside those used by the faith are the dance hall and a building called the hospitality house, where galas are held. In total, there are roughly 1,000 devoted laypeople, 150 lesser to middling clergy members, than six senior clergy members, one of which is the Holy Coin, a pontiff of the Wakanar faith. Goldspires runs and operates a resort on Akarov's Bay within Lake Esmel. The bay itself was named after a now-deceased Wakanar priest who discovered the beneficial effects of the mineral springs at the location where the resort now stands. I am unsure if this resort is within the resort community known as the Scimitar or not. In either case, the Scimitar is also located along Akarov's Bay for the same reason. Goldspires has a minority ownership in the community and leaves its management to the wealthy family who has majority ownership. In general, Joaquin is the deity with the largest amount of worship throughout Om, given the importance placed on mercantile activities in this nation. You will see the image of Joaquin hanging from signs and placed upon doors all throughout Athkatla. After all, Athkatla is called the City of Coin. At the center of Athkatla is Joaquin's promenade, or promenade. This massive oval-shaped open market has almost anything and everything, save magical and or illegal items, from across Faerun for sale. Contacts still can be made on the side 
to arrange for shady deals to be made elsewhere. Staying in Am, we arrive at a pilgrimage site for Joaquin's faithful. To the east of Gambitin are five large marble slabs, which are all different shapes and rest at different angles from each other. The site is called either Five Silvers or Five Coins. If you look from a higher vantage point down upon this site, when the rays from the rising sun shine down, the stone reflects the light and appears to be five coins. Riatavin is home to Lodge of Coins, the local Wakanard temple. This temple's central spire has a 12-foot diameter golden coin, Joaquin's holy symbol, hovering a few feet right above it. This massive coin doubles as a weather vane. Our last location in Alm is Trade Meat. In 920 Dale Reckoning on Shield Meat, Joaquin appeared at this crossroads town. She ushered in something called the Merchant's Peace here. As the story goes, Joaquin wandered the market in trade meat and was angered by the practices on display. She found the high merchant in charge and turned his hands to cold. From there, she broke off each of his fingers and gave them to whom he had wronged. The Merchant's Peace is a formal agreement shared by all merchants to be honest with one another and come to understand one another fully before a deal or plan is struck if they are in trade meet. They are not magically compelled to do this. They are wary of what may befall them should they break the merchant's peace, which I will touch on in a bit. In the center of trade meet is the large shrine dedicated to Joaquin. This shrine is called Joaquin's Circle. The form of the shrine is seven round stone slabs standing up on their respective edges. These stones predate their dedication as a shrine. This circle was the center of the first market in trade meet when a settlement was founded. The shrine is said to stand on the spot where Joaquin appeared all those years ago. The legend goes that if any merchant breaches the merchant's peace, one of the seven circles will crack, or that merchant will die a terrible death. It would appear everyone since 920 Dale Reckoning has kept their word and not bothered to challenge the legend. Or it is just that. A legend that holds no weight. But that's up to you as a dungeon master to decide. Throughout the region called the Vast, in north-central Faerun, Joaquin, along with Tempest and Timor, are venerated widely. You can find temples to all these gods in the region's cities, and shrines are found in several places as well. Not a place of worship, but still a place of note for Wakanar, is the legend told in the village of Orlimin. Outside the village are rolling highlands to the south. A high priest of Joaquin was buried out in the highlands long ago. The high priest was buried standing up, as was the custom. Beneath their feet were many gold bars. They wear rich vestments, and each finger bears a ring with inlaid gemstones. This single grave's treasures are said to be worth 60,000 gold pieces, if not more. Treasure seekers have often tried their hand at finding this grave to no success. Efforts increased while Joaquin was absent following the time of troubles. Once grave markers stood to mark this particular grave, but the markers were inlaid with gold and gems, so they were stolen. Shir Talar, aka the Shining City by the Sea, is the capital city of Lapalia. Each settlement in Lapalia has a civic deity. Shir Talar's is Joaquin's. 
Her temple here is known as the Gilt House of Gleaming Coins. This is a rich city because of Shir Talar's prominence as a major trade port. Many buildings featured gold and silver domes or decoration. The Gilt House of Gleaming Coins is second only to the Overking's own palace in Opulence. Many Coins House is a shrine to Joaquin in Marsember. During her absence, it was turned into a money-changing house. Now, no mention of it being made into a shrine once again is presented in any official books. Rather, the following information comes from over on the Candlekeep forms from Ed Greenwood in 2008. Many Coins is a stopover location for merchants and traders. Much like an inn, its antechamber is specifically for conducting business. The clergy live on the upper floors of this four-storied house. Many Coins is a place of education for clergy, where novices come to be trained and full members learn about business and trade. Many Coins has a secret service where the clergy will hide away small items should the steep price be paid. There is a temple to Joaquin with no specific name in Erebar. It is the base of operations for the Order of the Sapphire Crescent Mercenary Company run and supported by the temple. Named temples to Joaquin include the House of Coins in Elversalt and the Hall of Diamonds in Yahan. Unnamed temples to Joaquin can be found in Byzanter and Tiratoros in Thay, Raven's Bluff. There are then temples to Joaquin across Chisenta. I found mention of ones in both Reth and Lufchek. From there, temples can be found also in Esmalteran, Onfail, but this one is in disuse, and then Telflam. Unnamed shrines to Joaquin can be found in Halintar, though it was abandoned during her absence, Talman, Yeshpek, Arabel, Baldur's Gate, Burdusk, which during her absence was converted to a homeless shelter, Kalant, El Terrell, Serloon, Selgaunt, Tantris, Hillsfar, which allegedly has many small shrines dedicated to Joaquin, Everlund, Suzale, Ufmir, and Holtail. There is a name shrine to Joaquin called the Gold Coin House in Vasbraven, but it was burnt down and left abandoned. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Gold Eye Specialty Priest can be found in Face Avatars. The Prophet Prophet Priest variant can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. For 3rd edition, the Gold Eye Prestige class can be found in Face and Pantheons. For 4th edition, Joaquin Silver Tongue, a Channel of Divinity class feature, can be found in Forgotten Realms Player's Guide. The following is a custom background for someone deeply involved in Joaquin's faith, as an acolyte or otherwise, could use in a 5th edition game. For your two skill proficiencies, two of insight, persuasion, or investigation. For your language or tool proficiencies, one artisan's tool of your choice and one language of your choice. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes, Guild Artisan, or Guild Merchant, all from the Player's Handbook. For your Ribbon feature, there's the Acolytes, Shelter of the Faithful, or Guild Artisan's Guild Membership, both from the Player's Handbook. Next is just a list of subclasses I think would be appropriate for NPC or PC to take if they're a worshipper of Joaquin. 
for the Artificer, there's the Alchemist, both from Eberron, Rising from the Last War, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and the Armorer, which is only found in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Bard, there's the College of Lore from the Player's Handbook. For the College, there is both the Knowledge and Trickery domain from the Player's Handbook. For the Rogue, there's the Thief from the Player's Handbook, then the Mastermind from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Finally, for the Wizard, there's the School of Abjuration from the Player's Handbook. Dungeon Master Options First, I would like to touch on monsters available in official 5th edition sources that either serve Joaquin or her faith directly. From the Monster Manual, there's the Acolyte, Animated Armor, Spectator, Noble, Priest, Lion, and Cat. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Abjurer, Wizard, and Bard, both of which have revised stat blocks in Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. From Mort's Planar Parade, which is found in the Planescape box set that recently came out, there's the Ferramac Romani. Romani only recently were updated for 5th edition. A quick overview of them is that they are all about preserving the balance of the Outer Planes. Like some other Outer Planar creatures, they have a hierarchy. At the top are the Aromach Romani. Ferramac Romani are the foot soldiers. They have received a visual redesign for 5th edition's planescape looking far more like metallic automatons. The Plumach Romani were not updated for 5th edition. Their art from 2nd edition's planescape shows them looking like humans with a metallic sheen to their skin. They are further described in 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix 2. Plumachs are like the common folk among the Romani. From Mythic Odysseys of Theros is the Goldforged Sentinel. From Horde of the Dragon Queen, the Golden Stag. From Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Animated Jade Serpent, Crystal Golem, and Crystal Battleaxe. From Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, there's the Horde Mimic, Horde Scarab, and Swarm of Horde Scarabs. From Candlekeep Mysteries, there's the Animated Chain Library and Sapphire Sentinel. Finally, from Wild Beyond the Witchlight, there's the Glass Pegasus and Glasswork Golem. Following that, there's a monster tied to Joaquin's faith that has not been updated for 5th edition sources. The Lock Lurker is a tiny creature that resembles a coin. The majority of them resemble copper coins, while gold and silver ones exist in smaller numbers. On the Lurker's bottom side are its tiny, thin legs that retract into its coin-shaped body. In the center of its bottom side is its circular smooth with sharp teeth. A stinger comes off its backside, but the stinger is often not seen by creatures on the prime material. Rather, this potentially one-foot-long stinger exists primarily on the ethereal plane. Lurkers know well enough to hide among coins to strike a possible target and steal away with a quick bite of flesh. A lock lurker will strike out with its stinger at a target. When the stinger strikes in such a way, it becomes visible to the victim on the prime material. The poison injected by the stinger is quite the potent paralysis venom. For that reason, lock lurkers are placed in and around locks and chests and doors to fend off thieves. 
Assassins also placed lurkers in various locations, like under an ink pot or inside of a boot, for the lurker to then inject their paralysis poison into a target. The assassin moves in to finish off the target accordingly. The Lock Lurker has a second edition stat block and further information in Montrus Compendium Annual Volume 1 and Forgotten Realms Campaign Setting Box Set. To round out the Dungeon Master section, the following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the faith of Joaquin may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, Brooch of Shielding, Carpet of Flying, Cloak of Protection, Elemental Gems, Eyes of Minute Seeing, Lion's Figurine of Wonder's Power, Gem of Brightness, Gem of Seeing, Glamoured Studded Leather, Helm of Brilliance, Helm of Comprehending Languages, Bag of Holding, Hewitt's Handy Havish Sack, Ion Stones, Portable Hole, Robe of Useful Items, and Sending Stones. From Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, Coin of Delving, and Goggles of Object Reading. From Eberron Rising from the Last War, A Reworked Key Charm, and Shift Weave. From the Book of Many Things, Ring of Puzzler's Wit. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Plus One to Plus Three Amulets of the Devout. Finally, from Xanthar's Guide to Everything, Armor of Gleaming, Cloak of Billowing, and Cloak of Many Fashions. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms of Religion. These episodes are uploaded to YouTube. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Podcasts. For those interested, I have posted a link in the episode description to a Discord server I have set up. For audio listeners, you can find the link to the invite pinned on the podcast Twitter page. This is the end of the series on the Faerunian Pantheon for now. I put out my first episode on the Faerunian Pantheon in September 2018. The intention back then, and still now, was to cover the gods listed in the Faerunian Pantheon in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. I'm all too aware that list is missing gods that are very much alive and active. Covering the Faerunian Pantheon has been both a great and seemingly unending task. I do think it is time for me to move on to a new Pantheon after 5 plus years and putting out episodes on these 48 gods. That isn't to say I won't come back and cover gods I have not touched on in the Faerunian Pantheon. I would be remiss if I didn't cover LaRue or Moander, for example. Just don't expect a visit to Faerunian Pantheon anytime soon. So that leaves me with a question for you. Which pantheon do you want me to cover next? If you look in the episode description, there should be a link to a publicly available Google form. This should be the case both on your podcast platform of choice, as well if you're watching or listening to the episode on YouTube. Either way, I will also post the link on the Twitter page for the podcast. All I need from you is to select one of the following pantheons. The Elven Pantheon, the Dwarven Pantheon, the Gnomish Pantheon, the Orcish Pantheon, or the Halfling Pantheon. My preference is to cover the Dwarven Pantheon, but that's because dwarves are my favorite race or ancestry. 
However, I love the idea of covering any of these five pantheons, so please pick the pantheon you want to see covered next. This form will be up for a month starting the day Joaquin's episode goes live, after which I will announce which pantheon will be covered next. In the interim, I will be revisiting Ilstrahi, the chaotic good drow goddess of song, moonlight, and dance for the next episode. Ilstrahi initially was not a favorite of mine. I really didn't have a favorite Faerunian god. Rather, she was the reason why I started the podcast in the first place. A good deity that exists in the drow pantheon? What's that all about? She, of all the past deities I've covered, deserves an updated and revised episode. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Village Consort by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.